If you would, go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, Open your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be at this morning. I want to introduction uh, where we're going to be at in our passage, and then we're going to do something um, to kind of look at some of the men in our church and what they've been doing. And then uh, as soon as we're um, into that, we're going to tie the whole thing together about what we're speaking on this morning. Are you guys okay with that? Are you guys okay with that? Okay, just making sure that you're there. In um, Luke chapter 8, uh, there is a story about a man who goes out and he seeks Jesus. Actually, in Luke chapter 8, there's two stories that take place there. There's a man that he goes and he seeks out Jesus, and then a woman actually interrupts that story, and then the story concludes once it's done. Um, But the title of this message this morning is called Being the Man of Steel. And I know that some fathers out there really want to be that Superman to their family, and we're going to realize today there's one way that you can do that for your family, and there's one way that you can do that as a dad and as a father, and some of our guys in our church are working on accomplishing that goal, and they have done an amazing job for the last five weeks. But in Matthew and Mark and Luke, uh, the story is not in John, but we see it in three of the gospel accounts. We're told a story about a man whose name is Jairus. And Jairus is a religious ruler of a local synagogue. He's a leader, and he's a father, and we're going to learn from him. So if you would look at um, Luke chapter 8. <clears throat> let's go there together, Luke chapter 8. And let's just look at what this passage says uh, in regards to this man named Jairus. <clears throat> I got to find it. Hold on. Luke chapter 8. Page 546. Got it. Check. You're awesome. Why is there no pages on my notebook or my my netbook? Man, I love you, Chris. Did I ever tell you that? Uh, Verse 40. Check this out. Verse 40. It says this. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. I heard that page turn, by the way. So you're on a different page now? Are you still on the same? Oh, you're still on the same one. Okay, just to, uh, When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And just then, a man named Jairus came, and he was the leader of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet, and he pleaded with Jesus to come to his house, because he had an only daughter. She was about 12 years old, and she was at death's door. It's interesting the Bible says that she was at death's door. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing Jesus, and a woman comes up. So we want to skip this part because that's not our passage for this morning. We jump down into verse 49, and it says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue's leader, uh, leader's house, excuse me, saying, your daughter, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother this Jesus guy anymore. And when Jesus heard it, he answered him. He says, don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Verse 51 says, after he came to the house, he let no one in with him except for Peter, John, and James. Those are his disciples. And the child's father, which is Jairus, and his mother, her mother, excuse me. Everyone was crying and they were mourning for her. But Jesus specifically looks at him and he says, you guys, stop crying. She's not dead, but she's merely what? She's just sleeping. And they started, verse 53, laughing at him. It's fascinating to me that they would laugh at Jesus. But they did. It's fascinating that people laugh at guys who are trying to be good fathers, but they do. And here's what happens. Jesus doesn't care. He says, because they knew she was dead, but Jesus, on the other hand, 
he took her by the hand and he called out. He said, child, get up. Like a real father would, right? Girl, get out of bed. <laughs> her spirit returned and she at once got up and she gave orders and that would be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to go and tell absolutely no one what had happened. It's interesting, uh, just five months ago, we did a thing called the Living Sacrifice Lounge. And we opened it up to all the guys in the church. We stuck signs out in front of uh, people's houses and uh, they had these orange little muscles on them. And we said, if you want to remove this sign from the front of your yard, you have to pay us money. If you pay us a certain amount of money, we will um, we'll remove it from your house permanently. If you pay us just a little bit of money, though, um, you can put it in somebody else's yard. Just by curiosity, how many guys in our congregation this morning had a sign put in their yard? Anyone? Okay, we got some work to do. We got some work to do, guys. Okay, <clears throat> um, it's coming back. But these guys who participated in this thing called LSL jumped in, and they were from all different denominations, different backgrounds. Uh, they were men seeking to do something that was going to be outstanding. And we as a leadership team, we took the opportunity and we said, when should we make the LSL uh, available to guys? And we wanted to take out every single excuse that a guy had. And so we said, let's make it at 10 o'clock. Actually, the, originally it was midnight, right, Brad? We said, let's make it at midnight on a Thursday night. Well, and Jeff kind of chimed in. He says, we can't make it at midnight. Are you crazy? I don't, I'm not even up at midnight. I said, so, okay, let's do it at 10 o'clock. He says, 10 o'clock. Okay, let's do it. So we gathered couple of guys around a couple of tables and we started praying for the men of our church that something amazing would happen with this thing called LSL. And we wanted to take out all the excuses. Your kids are sleeping. You're going to be at the church just for a few hours. It's going to be okay. It's not going to be a really big deal for you. It's got to be a sacrifice. And one of the things that Jairus knew is that when we really truly go to follow Jesus, we have to make a sacrifice. And Jairus is the king of the leaders. If you were to look at Jairus, we would see kind of a profile on him, and we would see that he is a religious ruler. His duties in the synagogue, in the Jewish synagogue, included conducting worship services. He was well-known by some of the people. He was one of those guys who would come in, and he would lead prayer circles and scripture readings, and he would even maybe even preach. He was active in his congregation, but he wasn't really making Christ known. In the LSL, we took 20 guys who came to church every now and again. And we said, let's make your faith something extraordinary. We said, we know your leaders may be in your houses and all this other stuff, but man, if you really truly want to follow Jesus, the best way to go deep with Jesus is to start living out what his word says. Well, Jairus is a leader. And these guys are looking at it like, well, I'm already a leader, right? I'm already in this. Well, look at this. Look at Jairus's character sketch. He was the one guy who was chosen to select other readers and teachers to perform actions in this Jewish synagogue. He would constantly examine men, watch this, to make sure that they were diligently seeking God's ways and paying close attention that the things were being done in a God-honoring way. When we first looked at LSL as a leadership team, we realized that we were horrible at this. This is bad. At Community Gospel Church, we were not doing a good job of exactly what I just said. We were not diligently seeking God's ways and paying close attention that the guys of the church were doing things in a God-honoring way in accordance to Scripture and what Scripture said. And we wanted to push the level past just meeting in a room and having a Bible study. We wanted to go deeper. 
He said, we have to make this thing accessible to men to show them that their faith really, truly has an impact. It's interesting to note in the passage that we just read, there was generally only one guy like Jairus. There's only one guy who was looked at as being this really high leader. And we kind of have that in some of our churches, don't we? There's one guy who stands up with this Harley Davidson shirt on his back and he says, hey, I'm it, I'm the one. And really, he's the guy who probably doesn't have any of it figured out. He's just trying to live the way that Jesus lived. And he's trying to bring other guys along with him to show them that this Jesus guy is really, truly real. He really does exist. And well, that guy with the shirt on his back messes up from time to time. He says, why don't you come like Jesus who didn't mess up? He says, why don't you come along with me? And let's see if we can become better men, better followers of Jesus. It's interesting to note that Jesus picks up his disciples. And you know, all his disciples had all sorts of problems and issues. Probably very heavily tattooed men with bad mouths are going to change the world one person at a time. Jared looks at, Jairus looks at it and he says, I'm a leader, I'm a respected leader in the community like a lot of these guys who jumped in. And he was a leader that people looked to. But there's one thing that really just starts to rock his world. He's a dad. Did you notice that? He's a dad. He's got a little 12-year-old girl and what's her problem? What's her big issue? She's, she's dead. She's dying. <laughs> and we look at it and we would say, wow, it doesn't matter how great the man is when our daughters and our sons hurt, don't we hurt? When our kids have issues and problems, man, if you want to see a guy cry, just watch him with a daughter or a son in distress. And here's Jairus, and he says, it doesn't matter that I'm the top dog in the synagogue. It doesn't matter that I'm a leader of all these men. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. The only thing that matters right now is that my little girl is hurting. And we looked at some of the guys in our church, and we realized that they were oblivious, that their marriages were struggling, their spouses were hurting, their kids were going through hard times. They were oblivious to it. Because sometimes we get so wrapped up in what's going on inside the building, we forget that there's something going on outside the building, don't we? And we forget that sometimes to really see Jesus work and move, he's got to do something amazing to us. So watch this, Jairus, he comes, and his 12-year-old daughter is at the point of death. She's not dead just yet. In Luke eight forty-two, well, we don't know what caused this little girl to be ill or to be dying. She leaves, it leaves Jairus, a father who's frantic for someone to heal her. In LSL, we realized some guys were looking for a healer to heal them, and they didn't know where to look. And he was a common man at the moment his daughter is sick with a family that has a problem. And we learn much from this story that he is desperate for a healer. And what we see is to really truly be a man of steel, that guy cannot be afraid to seek Jesus, which is exactly what 20 guys did in LSL. We went out and we sought Jesus, and it changed our lives forever. The Living Sacrifice Lounge, if I could read you this, is based off the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It's the men's ministry here at Community Gospel Church. It's not just a ministry, though. We're just a bunch of guys with a bunch of problems trying to figure out how to solve each other's problems. Amen? Guys, that's kind of what we do. We're like, hey, you got an issue? I got an issue, too. You solve yours, and then I'll solve mine, Okay? Or you sell mine, you got it, all right? The Living Sacrifice Lounge was a way 
that a couple of the guys came in and we wanted to make a distinction of the everyday man, his ministry, his leadership, his marriage, his children, and his everyday relationships, unlike any other guys who was present in his life. We wanted him to stand out. We wanted him to be different. The man of the LSL goes beyond mere Christian fellowship. It's a brotherhood that can always be counted on. Guys met with each other for over 20, or almost 20 weeks. They sat down with each other. They told each other their cares, concerns, all that other stuff. The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a serious and solid ministry that's based on the foundation of Scripture that states this. I am still not all I should be. Guys, would you agree with that? I am still not all that I should be. Bethany, would you agree with that? (laughs) But, I love the Bible says but, but I'm focusing all my energies on this one thing. This one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I strain to reach the end of the race to receive the prize which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us up to heaven. Brad and Jeff and Myself looked at each other and we realized that we were extraordinary, but there were some guys who needed to be extraordinary with us. It's no fun being at the top of the hill being the best, is it? (laughs) So what we did is we wanted to remain faithful to many missions at hand. So Brad and Jeff looked at me and said, sure, Jordan, whatever you want to do, go for it. But if this thing fails, it's your fault. (laughs) So we looked at it and we said, we wanted to remain faithful on our brothers in the faith, focused on those that are lost. We wanted to build up the local church no matter what the price tag was. I'll never forget, Brad looks at me and he says, Jordan, nobody is going to come to LSL. It's 10 o'clock, it's too late, there's no way. Nobody's going to show up to this thing, it's not going to happen. To which I chuckled at, and Brad said, or Jeff looked at him, he says, man, you just had to say that, didn't you? You just had to say that nobody's going to show up. So we sat around, we prayed together, and uh, we realized that, and I, I think you guys need to know this, ministry doesn't happen on Sunday morning when I'm preaching. Ministry happens after the service is over, and it's what we do in the week. Amen? Amen. And we looked at this, and we wanted to become extraordinary gentlemen. We wanted to be uh, men who went through a transformation that couldn't be undone. We wanted a permanent reminder of God's workmanship in our everyday lives. We wanted to become extraordinary. And once made, we wanted to see that we found ourselves forever in process, living by unchangeable, solid principles that were in the Word of God. I am... Not all that I should be. I am not all that I should be. I'm in process. We were the ones who will lead by example, and we realized that it was our opportunity, and more importantly, it was our responsibility to take this into consideration. We got a a lot of backlash from some people. A lot of backlash. I can't believe you'd have this at 10 o'clock. I can't believe there'd be a specific group of guys that are coming to, to this thing. And we looked at it, we said, we gotta, we gotta stay on course, we gotta stay focused. We're the ones who will lead by example, displaying radiance to Jesus Christ. We wanna be disciplined, we wanna have responsibility, we wanna have a desire and a motivation to lead others to saving grace that's found in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection on the cross. And so we did this thing called the LSL, and here's a couple of guys who went through the process. In Luke chapter 8, <clears throat> If you look at that text, uh, there's a couple of things that are going on uh, that are really instrumental. Here, Bradley, I'll give you mine. I want you to hold it the whole time. I'm just kidding. 
No, go ahead. You can lay it down. Watch what happens here. And this is really important because the guys who are all standing up here who are talking and, and, and declaring what the, they had accomplished, the biggest thing that they knew throughout the whole five months of their journey is that a real man, and you need to understand this whether you're a dad or you're not a dad, is that a real man is not afraid to seek out Jesus Christ when they are in crisis. Amen? Amen. We would look at this and we would see that something that really makes a man a man, and if you're taking notes this morning, that is right there for your first point, is that a real man is not ashamed to seek out Jesus when he's in crisis. We know that other guys are going to fail us. We know that other people are going to fail us. If you ever step foot in a church before, you know that a church is going to fail you. If you've ever had the opportunity to interact with a Christian, you know that a Christian's going to fail you. I've let some guys down in my life. I've let a lot of guys down in my life. I look at my dad. He's let me down. And I realize that the one person who never let me down is Jesus Christ when I look at him and when I focus on him. So before we even start looking at Jairus' life, the biggest thing that we realize is that he goes out and he's not ashamed to seek out Jesus. The crazy thing is, if we were to look at Jairus' life, we would realize that why is he going to seek out Jesus when he's a religious leader? Do you see that? I thought religious leaders were against Jesus and his ministry. I thought Jesus was against those guys who were teachers of the law. Jairus is a teacher of the law. And he's still going out to seek Jesus. These guys who are standing up here, they are from way different backgrounds. I mean, some guys are working 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week. Some guys are unemployed. We looked at it, though, and we realized it doesn't matter where the status is. We understand that a real man goes out and he seeks out Jesus like Jairus does. He understands the scriptures and he knows what the word of God says, but he realizes his knowledge is useless if he doesn't act on it. All the guys in the lounge in the LSL knew that their faith was useless unless they acted on it. They can have all the knowledge in the world. They could lead the church. They could sit and have all this biblical knowledge, but if they are not living out and seeking Jesus, then they're nothing. And Jairus understood what the scripture says, and so as a teacher of law, he goes and he seeks out what is best for his children, what's best for his family, what's best for the care of them, and in this case, it's Jesus. And we're called to do the same. We're called to do the same. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. How many of you have ever done that? I always said when we had our first child that I was going to push her over when she started walking to make her tougher. And then the first time she started walking, I pushed her over and she started crying and I felt really bad because she was mad at me. And I said, whoa, it's not good to make your children upset because they take it out on you, don't they? They take it out on you. But it says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Notice that it says, dads. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. How do we do that? Well, we have to be disciplined ourselves, don't we? In order to really, truly bring children up in the ways of the Lord, you have to be disciplined yourself. More is caught than taught. Sometimes we would look at our children and we'd say, why are they so crazy? Why are they out of control? And the guys in the LSL realized that some of our children are out of control because we're out of control. And so he looks at us, and Jairus didn't even think to send his wife or somebody else to this place, does he? You notice that he goes as a real man. 
A real man goes to confront problems and issues. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I got an issue. And Jesus doesn't say you should have sent your wife or you should have sent your uncle or whatever. He says, you came here to this place for my help. And Jairus knew that the man of the house's job was to seek out the best physician. So he doesn't go to a doctor. He goes to Jesus because he knows that Jesus heals in supernatural ways. Because his daughter, if we looked at the scripture, she is at the point of death, right? There's no physician in the world that can heal her. Some of the guys who set up the LSL realized that we needed to have some system in there where they would talk and interact with each other. And they would share and they would communicate some of this stuff that they've gone out and they've tried to have a physician that has healed them. And he hasn't done anything. We've gone out to the world. We've gone to television. We've gone to electronics. We've gone to uh, places of, uh, of things that just don't really do us much good. And we realize they don't, they don't do anything for us, do they? We have to go to the real physician. So Jairus goes to the real physician regardless of his social status. Now watch this. Here's what really happens. When a real man goes and seeks out Jesus, he totally eliminates who he is and what he is in the community. And he says, I am willing to look like a complete idiot so that Jesus will heal my family. Isn't that what he says? Do you realize how many people were probably in that crowd with Jairus looking at him? I can only imagine all these guys who poured out a, and bless your heart, Kevin Kowicki, who said your wife made you do it. Because thank the Lord that my wife, no, it's not a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Who says, there's a lot of guys, the first week we said, make wives, push your husbands out of the door, get them out, go away from here, go to a place that's going to help you. It was a joke, you were funny, man. Look at this. Yeah, there you go. Regardless of the social status, the crowd watching in anticipation in the family, Jairus humbly comes before Jesus and he pleads with him to heal his little girl. He says, I don't, I, I don't care what I look like. I don't care what, what people say I, I look like, what, what people are going to say I did. I just want Jesus to heal my family. How many of you guys are in that situation? How many fathers... I live just in these out-of-control situations. You say, man, I've tried Dr. Phil and Oprah, and none of them work. <laughs> no kidding. He says, there's got to be somebody who's really going to come in and intervene. There's got to be a real physician that's going to come help. And it's the dads. I need you to circle that in your Bibles if you have them. It's the dads, the father's responsibilities to teach the children and his families about the ways of God. It's not mom's responsibility in creation. We look at it and Jesus uh, being there in creation with God the Father, he creates man in his image and he gives woman as a helper. And he says, you are to help her. And then when Eve sins, God looks over at Adam and he says, why did she sin? You're responsible for her. It's your responsibility. He says, I don't know. You put her here. It's it's your fault. He says, no way. He says, God says, it's it's not about about mom or or the church. Some people look at us and they go, it's the church's responsibility to raise our kids. Devin, if somebody tells you that, you send them my way. Because it's not true. We do a horrible job. We leave them in the building. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine how fun that would be? Hey, raise my kid. Okay. <laughs> there's a church, we have a gym, and there's some nursery, but I'm not going to be here. No way. You know, have fun with that. You don't want us to raise your kids. You want us maybe to help you raise your kids, but you don't want us to raise your kids. I looked at it, and I, I met with a couple guys in LSL. And I looked at it, and we started talking about our family and stuff like that. I don't want that guy to help me, ra- or that guy to raise my kid. I want that guy to come alongside me and help me. 
to raise my children. It falls on the husbands to raise children in the ways of the Lord. It's the family, the church. It's our responsibility to help lead and train. And we're doing amazing things there. The church is called to assist you in training your children. And one of the things I want to leave you with this morning is how, how you do that. Okay? So if you're taking notes this morning, I want to leave you with how you do that. How do you seek uh, Jesus? First and foremost, I would say that you need to dedicate your children and your family to the Lord, which is one of the main things that we did before we started LSL. We said, Jesus, it's not about us anymore. It's about you and what you're going to do in our lives, what you're going to do in our homes, what you're going to do with our spouses. We need to dedicate our children and your family to the Lord. The Bible tells us that children are a gift from God. If you don't believe that your kids are a gift from God, how many of you guys sometimes doubt that? <laughs> there are moments in my family where we look at it and uh, you, you're not a gift, you're a consumer. <laughs> but if you don't believe that children are a gift from God, you should go talk to a couple that can't have any kids. And they will look at you and they'll say, I would, I would die for your children. There are people who go to hospitals to try to conceive and get pregnant, and they've been striving and trying for years and years, sometimes decades, to have kids. And they look at you and the way that you raise your kids, and they go, I can't believe somebody would train a child in that way. If I had that child, they would be next to me 24-7. They would be in my care. They would be in my grasp. And the crazy thing is children are a good representation of our relationship with Jesus. And sometimes we run to like these other quote-unquote parents, and Jesus says, wait, I want to I train you. I want to I help you. And God has placed your children and your family in your care, and you are to handle them properly in the ways that are honoring to the Lord. We say this in weddings, but Psalm 127 says, children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward from Him. They're like arrows in the hands of the warrior. I never realized my kids are like ammunition. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. I don't know what a full quiver is. I have no idea. But it says in Mark chapter 10, it says, regardless of how many you have, do not hinder them, the children, for the kingdom of God belongs to such of these. Why? Because it takes childlike faith to accept Jesus Christ. Notice in the Gospels, when the children go up to Jesus, he says, don't, don't hinder them. And he sits around and they're kind of at his feet and he loves on them. It's easy to love little kids, isn't it? It's hard to love adults. It's very simple to love little kids. They're totally lovable. And he looks at it and he says, let those little children come to me. So dedicate them to the Lord. Dedication made simple is, is uh, very simple. Those of you who have kids, pray over them once and often. Every night before my girls go to bed, I put my hand right on top of their head. They think it's the weirdest thing in the world. I place my hand right on top of their head. I say, dear Lord, this is your child. Help me to raise her the way that you want me to raise her. Bethany usually puts one of them to bed. I put the other one to bed. So usually I just pop her in the head before she goes off with Bethany. <laughs> Depending on the day, depends on how hard the hit was. <laughs> that should be an amen. Come on, that should be an amen. In Samuel, Hannah's prayer was, was simple like this. This is how she dedicated her child. She said, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. It's very simple to pray this for your children. I will give this child to the Lord all the days of his life. Jesus, like I said in Matthew 19, children were brought to him that he may lay hands on them and pray for them. Community gospel would validate this. We would affirm this in our families. And we equipped all these guys to do this because we know it's their job, their responsibility. 
How many of you guys pray for your children on a daily basis? Oh, I got hands going. Yeah, I got hands. How many of you guys pray audibly with your children for them on a daily basis? It's crazy, isn't it? We don't say that to make you feel guilty. We say that to spur you to do this. It's funny too. More is caught than taught. You ladies who have some guys who are living away from the Lord. Do that in front of them. See what happens. I know girls who have prayed over their child, who have done their devotions for years and years and years before their spouse caught on to what was going on. Pray for them once and often. I have no doubt in my mind that a leader like Jairus righteously ruled in his place because he led the family well. I have no doubt in my mind, especially with Jewish synagogue, I have no doubt in my mind that he was commissioned and commanded to rule that place and to lead that specific synagogue because he took care of his family well. And you can see it because he goes, doesn't he? He goes to take care of his daughter. Well, what else? Let's go back to our Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 8, verse 49. Look at this. It says, while he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue's leader's house saying, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Because remember, a lot of the teachers were still questioning if Jesus really truly was the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, this guy comes up. He says, hey, don't bother Jesus. Your daughter's dead. Just leave Jesus alone. He says, go ahead and leave him alone. But one of the things we learn from this little story is that we must teach our children a healthy fear of God. Jairus knew that this story would probably go down because, check this out, he goes out with faith, and if he goes out with faith, and, this, and he wins, and Jesus really truly does heal his daughter, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's the Messiah, right? He knows that he's the one. If Jesus doesn't heal his daughter, he can go back to the synagogue and say, hey, the Messiah hasn't come. He's not here. He's not alive. He doesn't really exist. But if Jesus really works this miracle for him, he says, I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is true and my children will know that the Lord is just and sending his Messiah and we can teach them a healthy fear of it. Proverbs chapter 22, train a child up in the way he should go. Even when he was old, he will not depart from it. Well, how do I train them? How do I do this? Well, Deuteronomy tells us, which is an Old Testament passage, you shall teach them God's commands diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Let me give you just a couple of really simple things to do with your kids, dads. This is really simple. Some of you guys are like, I have no idea. When we first had two, how many of us in the this, in this sanctuary right now have more than just one kid, one child? You got a couple that have one? How many of you guys have two? Three? Four? over four. We're praying for you constantly. Anything over two for me is like, wow, that's impressive. Look at this. It says, this is simple. Dad, you're looking for ways to, to connect with your kids. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You should talk about them when you sit in your house. In my house, we sit down at least three times to eat meals. We talk about what God has done, what he's doing, Sunday after church, we usually sit down. How was church? What did you learn? Kareen usually uh, tells me the weirdest stuff. I have no idea what she's learning in the nursery because she doesn't talk to me really well. She just kind of goes in these little blabbles. But she tells me what's going on, and we, we try to train her and talk about some of the things when we sit down in our house. When we go to bed at night, we always do devotions. What is the devotion? Kareen's gone through three little kids' Bibles. Three of them. And... I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes when I'm tired, we only get like two page stories in. 
It doesn't have to be this big, long ordeal. It just has to be this simple, small thing. She knew that Joshua, or excuse me, Joseph was a little shepherd boy whose father's dreams brought him great joy. I could recite the whole story to you. We have that. I probably just read that up. But we have this whole story memorized, and now Gianna's on to it. Okay, so we just transfer it over. When they walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, when we get up in the morning, do we talk about the things of Jesus Christ? Much teaching is taking place over what they're catching, not what you're actually trying to teach. You ever notice that especially dads with kids, they don't learn a whole lot when you try to teach them like a pulpit? You ever sat your kids down? Okay, we're going to talk about Jesus tonight. No Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck. It's Jesus. You ever been there? It doesn't work, right? They're sitting there and why are you not listening to me? Most of it comes because they've seen you do specific things. Let me just give you a couple examples. Meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, bedtime, biblical modeling. Are you living before the Lord the way that you would have your children live before the Lord? The church, we affirm this. We give you family devotionals. We provide tools. Cindy's done a phenomenal job about this to help the family come together. We have programs and ministries that support and just don't simply teach, but we actually are focused on this biblical modeling. In other words, we want to live before the Lord the way we would have our families live before the Lord. Everybody on my team at Community Gospel Church is striving to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we talk about it. It's on the tip of our tongue all the time. Look at the very last part of this passage. <clears throat> Luke chapter 8, verse 51. I think this is phenomenal. After that, he came to the house. He let no one enter with him except for Peter, John, and James. Probably because those were the disciples that really needed to see Jesus work. The child's father and mother also came, 52. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, you got to stop crying for she's not dead, but she's simply sleeping. And then all of a sudden people start laughing at him. This is bad for a dad when people laugh at us, isn't it? I hate it. I hate when people laugh at me. People start laughing. I can only imagine Jairus looking like an idiot. He's standing there and he's probably agreeing with it. He's like, man, I knew it. She's dead. You're not the Messiah. You're not the one everybody doubts. So he took her by the hand. Jesus comes down and he calls out, Child, get up. He probably screamed at her. That's how I think Jesus rolled. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. And he says, Immediately she should be given something. She's probably hungry. Give her something to eat. And I love 56. Why? Because it says her parents were what? Why are we so surprised when Jesus works in our life? I look at all these guys who went through LSL and I realize that they looked at each other and they're like, we're, we're kind of shell-shocked right now that God actually mer- worked and moved through our lives. But here's the, biggest, here's the biggest kicker to the whole thing. Jesus calls common men to do very uncommon things, doesn't he? And once he calls these common men to do uncommon things, at the end of the story, he looks at Jairus and he says, don't be afraid, you just got to believe and she will be healed. That's the first step. And all the people are outside, they're in a state of panic and Jairus is looking to the Lord and his child to be healed because a real man of steel goes out and he seeks Jesus. And when Jesus moves, we're astounded because then we have an opportunity to praise him. 
Fathers, look at your children, especially you fathers who are adult fathers. And I know this because my dad's told me this on more than one occasion. There is no way if your son or daughter is doing exactly what Jesus wants them to do, there is no way that you would have ever predicted they would be that way, correct? There's no way. He said, I had a whole different, a whole different ideal. That had to be the grace of God. That had to be Jesus Christ. That had to be, that has to be something greater than myself working and moving in their life. I mean, we prayed and we toiled and we struggled, but we're just common people. How is this child in front of us doing something that's absolutely phenomenal? How is this child walking who was once dead? Because the father, the man, went and sought Jesus. He believes in faith in Jesus, regardless of what other people are saying. And he's never afraid to seek Jesus out. I know you saw the testimonies of some guys. And I know you, you look at it and you go, okay, seek out Jesus. I could do that. That's going to change my life. I understand that. In August, we're going to run LSL again. And those of you who didn't or weren't a part of LSL, you need to be there. It's the first uh, Thursday in August. You need to come and be a part of that. Uh, you sign a covenant. The first uh, week we give you an out, but we tell you, don't take the out. You come and be a part of LSL. Because here's what happens when real men seek out Jesus. It doesn't just impact their lives. It impacts other people's lives. If our greatest need would have been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he offers you a free gift of salvation. And if you would, just close your eyes and bow your head with me this morning. If there's anybody who wants a life like you have seen in the 20 guys who were up at this stage, if there's anybody in this room whether you're a guy or a girl who knows that you cannot do life by yourself and that the church has let you down, Christians have let you down, people have let you down. Let me tell you, the 20 guys who are here who are standing up, we've all been there. And one of the things that we've realized is that Jesus never has let us down. We may think that he has let us down, but he's never let us down. He is the savior of the entire world and he has come as our redeemer. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again on the third day and he is ruling and reigning forever in heaven. And it is our job now to respond to that action. And our response is a response of faith. We have to believe in our heart, confess with our mouth that he is Lord of our life. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. You cannot be saved unless somebody dies in your place. And somebody did die in your place. His name is Jesus. He lived a perfect life that none of us have ever lived. He showed us how we are to live, to follow God the Father, the creator of the universe. You are here for a specific reason and a specific purpose. And your purpose is first and foremost that you would accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is Lord. 
And the Bible says, the truth that is presented in the Bible says, you will be saved. It doesn't say you may be saved. It doesn't say if you do a whole bunch of good works, you're going to be saved. It says you will be saved. And if you are in that boat where it's your opportunity right now, where God is knocking at your door and he's saying, I want you to open up that door the way that we do it is in faith. We trust with our heart that Jesus is the Messiah. I would invite you this morning to speak to God for the first time. Maybe you've never spoken to God before. I remember the first time that Bethany and I ever communicated. It was a very awkward conversation because I was nervous. Because I wanted to know her on a deeper level. And so it is with our relationship with Christ. We come with all this baggage, with all this burden. And we look at him and we don't even know what to say. And we fumble the words out of our mouth. But he says, listen, all you have to do is confess that I'm the Messiah and believe in your heart that I'm king of all kings, that I came to save you. You will be saved. That's what the Bible says. And this truth we have seen, the Bible says we have evidence of it. We have 20 changed lives that were in front of you this morning. We have women who were changed. We have families who were changed. We have children who have been impacted, not because of some program, some ministry, or some church, but because of a Savior whose name is Jesus. And I would invite you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to pray. Maybe you're going to fumble through it. But a very simple prayer to Jesus Christ. Who can hear your voice? Very simple words. And if that's you, I would invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, I need you as Savior. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior before, today's the day. Don't walk out that door, dads. Don't walk out that door, moms, without making the greatest decision you've ever made in your whole entire life. Say, dear Lord, I'm in need of a Savior. Jesus, I need you to save me. I confess that I'm a sinner. Just tell him, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need you to save me. Restore me. And make me complete. That I may know you. Because I'm a work in progress. As your eyes are closed and your head is bowed. Something a lot of people used to do in the old school. Back in the old churches. They would ask people to make a declaration of their faith. That they pledged in Jesus Christ. And they would have them actually come down in the middle of the service. And they would have them stand. And they would pray over them. This morning, I'm just going to ask you that if you made a decision this morning to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just shoot your hand up in the air and let us know? Let us rejoice with you that you came to know Jesus Christ today, that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. King of kings, the Lord of lords, if that's you this morning, just go ahead, shoot your hand up. Go ahead, let me know. Lord bless you. Put your hands down, those of you who were a little timid in raising your hands, because we know that Jesus moves in hearts and lives. We're going to pray for you that, Father God, you would bless these people who have made a decision to follow you for the first time today. We ask that you would just restore unto them the joy of salvation, renew a right spirit within them, give them the opportunity to know you in ways that They never knew you before. 
as they confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that you are Lord and Savior. I pray that you would strengthen them and they would look to you and to you alone for growth, for changes. And those of us who are Christians, who are gathered here, who have already done that, who have already confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you got work to do. It's your job now as a church to go out. In the book of Matthew, verse, chapter 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not just your pastor's job, that's your job. It's our job. And I would commission you and release you this morning to seek out Jesus. And Father God, I pray that you would lay names on our hearts to go be the hands and feet of Jesus to this morning. That we would seek you out so much we would see you in the darkest and deepest places. As our church continues to get on a roll to start changing communities that are so lost in sin, you would give us the opportunity to find freedom in Christ and help other people find freedom in Christ. Give us the ability to feel burdened for our brothers and sisters who are in our life and the opportunity to lead them into a relationship with you. If we hide the gift, Lord Jesus, we're shining our light underneath darkness and our light is called to shine in darkness. So may you this morning, men of God and women of faith, shine your light for Jesus Christ and him alone. May you have the opportunity to have an impact on somebody else because Jesus had an impact on you.